0: How many of you in school? Math was your favorite subject. English. Wow, that's telling. I love. I love this. Um, let's see. Reading, writing. What's that? Science biology, science, history? Oh good, this morning's for you then. We're doing a history lesson this morning. My my favorite class was recess. <laughs> Just was. What's that? Yeah? <laughs> yeah, recess, those were good times. <laughs> Last week we spent some time in Daniel 9 and Ezra 9, and we began getting into Nehemiah 9. Going to get a little deeper into Nehemiah 9 today. Again, we, we mentioned last week that it's the longest recorded prayer in the Bible. The prayer in Daniel 9 was prayed by Daniel. The prayer in Ezra 9 was prayed by Ezra In the prayer in Nehemiah 9 was not prayed by Nehemiah. I'm sure he was present, but it was prayed by the Levites. I don't know if it's it's good to try to... I, I slaughter their names so badly, I'm not always sure if it's good to even try. I don't want to leave out part of the Word of God and their names are listed there, but I'm not even sure if it's honoring to try to read them. I read them so poorly. <laughs> but I'll, what's that? Phonics class? Yeah, I didn't do so good in phonics. I did great at recess, though. Nehemiah chapter 9 verses 4 and 5 talk, give the list of the, the Levites there. Um, just real quick, again, I threw this out last week. Uh, Just a brief outline of uh, Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 6 is God's greatness. Verses 7 through 30 is God's goodness. And 31 through 38 is God's grace. Uh, Today we're going to try to get to verse 21. Um, Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Our God is a giving God hey we're we're going to we're going to kind of I'm going to kind of revisit one of the the ideas that we did cuz I approached chapter 8 just a little differently doing the who what when where why and how um we're we're going to look at it kind of a what here and just briefly to to start today because one of the important themes in the book of Nehemiah and specifically this prayer is that the Levites are remembering God's goodness. They are remembering all the gifts that he gave in spite of their sin. Um, we, we, I shouldn't say we. I shouldn't just say me. I thank God for his patience. Because there's more than, many more times than once in my life, that, you know, God, God could have zapped me real quick because of the sin in my life and and me choosing to do my will knowing that it was wrong but choosing to do my will over his and that's what we see repeatedly here in in the chapter and and I'm just going to give you the verse and and just to give you the idea of the the gravity and and how much God gave them Um, and yet I've got a note in my Bible here on the side. It says, they lacked nothing in in verse 21 of Nehemiah. They lacked nothing, they appreciated nothing. As they're they're listing the things here. Um, Let's start in verse 6. God, towards the end of the verse, God gave life to all of them. He's talking about his creation. So this wasn't to the Jews specifically. But then we start in verse 7 with the nation of Israel God gave him the name Abraham. You say well that's not real significant but we'll we'll come back to that. It is. Verse 8 they gave they gave him, excuse me, God gave him the land of the Canaanite, Hittite, Amorite, Perizzite, and Jebusites and the Girgashites. Then he gave it to their descendants. We have a giving God. Verse 10, he performed, he he gave them signs and wonders that he performed against Pharaoh. He gave them on behalf of his people. Verse 11, he gave them dry ground to cross on. Verse 12, he gave them a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He was constantly leading them. Are there times in your life where you say, God, where are you? I don't feel like you're leading me. Rest assured, he's there. He will not leave you. He promises us that. He will never leave us or forsake us. Verse 13. He gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. We'll address that a little bit more later, too but he gave them direction. He gave them the tools that they needed to live successfully. Verse 14, he gave them the Sabbath. Now to the Jews, it was the Sabbath was the last day of the week. On the seventh day, God rested from his creation, not that he was wore out or tired, but he did that as an example to his people. Today, we celebrate the first day of the week because that's when Christ arose from the death. And, and and we're not Jewish in our heritage. I don't know, some of you may have a little bit, but you're not practicing Jewish traditions in that. And we set Sunday aside as our day of rest. God didn't create the Sabbath to to be a, a, a law to the Jews. He created it for them. Our bodies need rest, people. We, we often quote Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. Well, we have an opportunity every Sunday to just be still, to slow down. Because God knows that our bodies, our minds, and our souls need that rest. And that's one of the problems with our world today. Nobody slows down. The world doesn't take a rest on Sunday. They don't think it's necessary. But God knows how he created us, and he designed a day for us to rest. That's important. He gave them the Sabbath. Verse 15, he provided bread, and he provided water. He provided the land that he would give them verse 17 he gave them forgiveness graciousness compassion he gave them abounding loving kindness verse 19 he gave them confession verse 20 he gave them the spirit to instruct them again he gave them water. Verse 21, He gave them whatever they needed because it says they weren't in want. He gave them clothes and sandals that lasted 40 years. Probably didn't, at the end of the 40 years, probably didn't hit the front page of Vogue or GQ, but the sandals were still there and the clothes were still, still on them. God provided for them. Verse 22, he gave them kingdoms and peoples, and that's the beginning of next week's message on on the conquest or the conquering. But we'll continue on through the end of the chapter. Verse 23, he gave them sons as numerous as the stars of heaven. Verse 24, he subdued the inhabitants before them. He did that. He gave that to them, he did that for them. Gave them into their hands. Verse twenty-five. He gave them cities. He gave them a fertile land. He gave them houses full of every good thing: cisterns, cisterns, vineyards, olive groves, faith. Uh, excuse me, fruit trees that they didn't plant or build. He gave them to them. Verse twenty-seven. He gave them deliverance, and he gave them deliverers who delivered them. Many times they were rescued according to God's compassion. Again, in verse 30, we see him giving the spirit. And then he gives them into the hand of the people. I don't think that was a a giving they were looking forward to. But it was certainly something they deserved and earned. So we see that our God is a very giving God. He loves us. What's our attitude to him in response to what he gives us? Sometimes he gives us grief. Grief. sometimes he gives us chastisement what's our reaction to that we see all the world of difference between David and Saul they both were great sinners but how did they react Nathan came to Daniel or to David and said of his sin with Bathsheba he said he told them the story about if the the rich guy had a bunch of sheep, and his neighbor had one little sheep that he 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 cared for it as he would a daughter, the Bible actually says. The rich man had a friend come and he goes and he steals the neighbor's sheep. David says, Make him repay four times. Nathan says, Daniel, or David, that's you. And David was broken. He didn't turn and walk away. He was broken in his heart because he knew. He knew he was wrong. So God God gave him chastisement. He chastised Saul as well. But how did Saul react? Just that much differently than David. All right, let's let's dig into chapter 9 some more. The Levites in verse 5 say, Arise, bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Oh, may your glorious name be blessed and exalted above all blessings and praise. You alone are the Lord. Just makes me think back to chapter 8, verse 6, when Ezra blessed the Lord and the, and the great God and all the people answered, Amen and Amen, while lifting up their hands. We practiced a couple of weeks ago and we said, We're doing something very unbaptistical but very biblical. We're raising our hands in worship to God to praise His name. Now, when every when everybody does it on cue, to me that's a little canned and a little insincere. But if it's sometime during the surface, you say amen and you raise your hand, I'm not going to look at you strange. I'm probably going to say amen right back at you. And we're never going to hold cue cards up. Okay, say amen now. Or, of course, I could wear my T-shirt again. when God's name is to be exalted, we ought to have an emotional response. God gave us emotions. I don't think it's appropriate to throw yourself all over on the floor and you know bounce off walls and stuff like that either, but we can have a joyful exuberance in our hearts for what God has done for us. And when we consider who he is... And what a great, mighty, awesome God he is. And that his name is to be exalted. So don't be afraid to raise your hands or say amen, okay? No cue cards. Do it as the Holy Spirit leads you. Thou alone art the Lord. I know I, I shared in my retirement ceremony from the Air Force back in 2007. I said, guys, I said, it's not a very popular political position to be in these days. I may not be politically correct, but I don't really care about that. I said, I want to tell you, and I quoted John 14:6. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by him. I said, there is only one way to heaven. There is only one God. And if you don't believe in Him, you won't be in heaven. I said, I don't get get anything from that. I I don't get a kickback or anything for saying He is the only one. But He's the only one. Amen. Deuteronomy 6. Verses 4 and 5. Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Turn to John chapter 1. We're going we're to make you sprint here for a couple minutes, and then we'll let you rest until the marathon, okay? John chapter 1. Keep your, keep your fingers nimble here for a couple minutes. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overpower it. Colossians chapter 1. This is probably my favorite passage in this group of verses that I'm reading right now. Colossians 1 15 through 19. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things, all things have been created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1, 1-3. when he has made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. There is only one God. We make gods out of material things. We make gods out of anything that we put before the God. It's possible to put family before God. Men, we have to be careful not to put our jobs before God because we tend to to throw ourselves into them and think that that's where we find contentment. And that is part of our God-given responsibilities to provide for our families. But we have to be careful that that doesn't become our God. I know more than once during my Air Force career that I did that. And it hurt my family. It hurt my wife. Because I made the job more important. She felt like I made the job more important than I made her. We have to be careful. Even Even the idea of good things can become our God that shouldn't. There is one God. And he sits on the throne and he reigns on high. And we need to exalt him above everything. Hmm. Got yeah, so much to say. I'm not sure which to say first. Back in Nehemiah nine. Back to verse six. You alone art the Lord. You've made the heavens, the heavens of heaven, with all their hosts, the earth, and all that is on it, the seas, and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows before you. You are the Lord God. I'm skipping. i got to stop at verse 6. History lesson. Where in God's word do we find the creation story? Be more specific. Genesis is the book. Genesis 1 and 2 is where we learn and study about creation. What, what we have here in, in, in Nehemiah chapter 9 is the Levites listing events in their history. I want to connect you back to the scriptures where it comes from so that you know and understand, one, they knew what they were talking about. These Levites knew their word. They knew the word that they had. As much of it as they had they knew it and they understood it. So there but we want to go back so, so that we see the ties and, and we're not going to read Genesis 1 and 2 because we know that story very well about creation and on the different days God created. think about think about trees and leaves. In the early spring right now, they're just kind of budding on the on little branch. You see, see the little, little green pop out. Then through the next several weeks, it'll, it'll grow to the full leaf that it's going to be, depending on the kind of tree. Then through the summer, we see it blow in the wind and, and all those leaves. And then in the fall, some of them will turn gorgeous colors. You know, talk about an artist. God knows what he's doing. Michelangelo, Rembrandt, all those guys, whatever, they ain't got nothing on God. And those leaves die. And they fall off the tree. And the tree looks dead. But guess what happens next spring? That little green bud pops out again. And the whole process goes again. All the different flowers. Anybody know how many different flowers there are? How many kinds of birds are there? I I don't have a clue. I I didn't spend that much time doing the research. But there's a bunch. There's a bunch of different birds. There's a whole bunch of different kinds of flowers. There's a whole bunch of different kinds of trees that God made in his creation. And we haven't even started with animals yet. We're we're only beginning to see some of the creatures of the sea. Some of them are really ugly looking. (laughs) But they're fascinating. They're amazing. Think of the miracle of birth. Human birth. How it it comes about. the, The male seed and female seed. And then this... I, I I I was you know we we could have had two hundred babies and I'm sure I'd be just as amazed at this two hundred one as I was the first being in the delivery room. I can say that my wife's not here, so she she's not even here to shudder. It's because she's taking care of a couple of our babies. <laughs> um, how, how fascinating is it to be in the delivery room? when your child's born, or even if you weren't able to be in shortly after holding that little thing in real life, and and, and the, the, the amazing thing is is to, to look at Beth and say, that came from us. And what what always blew me away too, and we won't get into graphic medical detail here, but is the placenta That that that's what kept that baby alive. That was its source of food, its source of of uh, cleansing or purification. Was its, its kidneys and liver while it's while it's in the womb. It's amazing. It's just incredible that God designed that to work that way. I know my wife was never as excited about that because. The baby was a living, breathing thing, but it needed that placenta because I guess, obviously, I've never been there, but I've been there with her. And it's just as much work to push that out afterwards as it is to push the baby out. And it generally weighs about the same. It just blows my mind that God designed that for that. That God designed that that way. On a simple, a simple little thing that got grandkids going through it now. They got a loose tooth. Why? Because there's another tooth behind it pushing it out. How in the world did that happen? You're born with two teeth in there? No. <laughs> One grows and develops later because that's the way God designed it. He is an awesome, amazing, incredible God. Look at the delicacy and the, the, just the different designs of flowers. Some, some hang down. Some are just little blossoms. Some get big. He made you. He made us. And that makes us accountable to him. Man tries to explain it away through Darwinism, through humanism, through atheism. Humanism says, I'm it. It's all about me. I can make myself better. I can be a better person because of me. I can do it. I don't need God, because it's all about me. Atheism—that one I'll, I never get. Why they get so upset about something that doesn't even exist? I just, I just, that just—that just—that you know. Okay, I understand. I have a small brain, but that logic I don't get. Why are you so upset that I want to believe something that you don't say even exists? What is it to you? We know that God exists. But in Darwinism, in humanism, and in atheism, it's all about dodgeball. Thank you, Terry. I love that expression. Kind of like, what's <laughs> that got to do with dodgeball, Pastor? Come on. <laughs> It's man trying to dodge God. Trying to dodge God and make excuses that he isn't. See, because if there's a God, if I sin, that makes me feel guilty. We, we, talk, we see in, in uh, verse 13 of that chapter that God gave them just ordinances and true laws, great statutes and commandments. The law points out our sin. Ooh, I don't like that. That doesn't make me feel good about myself. That makes me have this thing called guilt. Man wants to play dodgeball. Man wants to dodge God and avoid God. Because innately in our hearts, we all know that we are accountable to God. He made us. He created us. Why? For Him. We read that in in Colossians. It was for His goodwill, for His purposes. He created us to serve Him. And even an unbeliever, even a person that's never gone to church, has an innate sense built into them by God to know right and wrong. And when they do something that isn't right, they feel guilty. And that doesn't make them feel good. Ah, Isn't that sad? They don't feel good. Because they murdered somebody, or they stole, or they raped somebody. And they feel guilty. God gave us conscience. God gave us a conscience. It can be seared if we, if we totally and repeatedly, continuously turn our back on God. Our consciences can be seared. If there is no God, then there's no more morality and there's no guilt. I can do whatever I want. I don't care if it infringes on you or your rights. If you've got it and I want it, I'm going to take it, whatever it is. There is one God. And we are accountable to that God for our actions. The world doesn't want to face that. The world doesn't want to feel that. But one day, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some will move into eternity with God. Some will move into eternal separation from God. That's called hell, and that'll be cast into the lake of fire. No one will escape it. No one no matter how good you feel you are, no how many good things you've done, no how many community boards you sat on, no matter how much you gave to the Salvation Army or the food bank, that will not save you. There is one God and one way, and that is Jesus Christ our Lord. He is Lord. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's through Him and Him alone. The world comes up with all of its different ways to try to toss the guilt aside. They play dodgeball. But it's not a fun game in the gym. Get to, get this quote. It's not a scriptural quote, but it may, I think it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Saw it on a wall in a placard in a Hallmark movie, watching with my wife. It says, this is not a dress rehearsal. This is life. Folks, we're not practicing We're not practicing for what could be. This is life. As the expression goes, we only go around once. So we need to get it right the first time. The only chance we get. And we need to pass the word of God on to our neighbors. We need to... Get emotional about their need for God. We need to share the word of Jesus Christ with our neighbors, with our families. Samaria, Judea, unto the uttermost parts of the Well, we're in the uttermost parts of the world, so we got that one covered. Don't get me wrong, I love it here but we have a responsibility to share the good news with the truth of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for all that you gave the Jews. Thank you for all that you give us. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your graciousness for your mercy. Above all, thank you for your love. Thank you for being true. Father, help us to be different when we come back next Sunday than we are today. Help us to be closer to you in our walk. Don't let us be content to be the same that we are today. We need to love you more. We need to love our neighbors more. We need to share more. So God, change us this week, please. Do what you must, do what you will, but change us to love you more and to serve you more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good week.